0: John Copenhaver, and Al Warren Heard on KCAA, 106.5 FM
1: Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and
0: 1050 AM Palm Springs.
2: Today we are talking about true crime again. We have a great author who's written a true crime memoir, so it's uh, very personal, um, thank you for taking the time, Malcolm Campbell.
1: Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you. It's a pleasure to speak to you.
2: Wow. So this is quite the book here you've got. So now the title is really uh, interesting, Call Sign Charlie One. Um, yes. So where did that come from?
1: Um, as I, uh, when I started working as a security guard, my first department store that I took over and my call sign was Charlie One, so that was the beginning of the the true crime story. When I when I first took on the job, now I actually believed I was just going to be helping ladies with their bags and opening doors for people, and 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 just being a, a visual deterrent in my uniform. I had no idea what was about to happen, and um, yeah, and that's that's where the story starts. Cool sign, Charlie one
2: Wow. So this is quite the, uh, quite the uh, story you've got here. Um, so may, maybe give a little bit of a preface of, of, of a setup of what what was going on in your life.
1: Um, within work or, or oh, just kind um, of all,
2: all the way around yeah let's talk about okay you know,
1: okay so so i've been an ex-soldier i've been a soldier with the british army and uh, served proudly um, also served in in america um, in fort lewis alongside the american troops um, i'd also served in africa as well so After I'd served for about five years, I left as a non-commissioned officer and then come back into Civilian Street where I decided to um, work uh, as a security guard, falling back on my military training. And um, yeah, I was just a regular family guy um, with um, two children. And um, law-abiding, never getting in trouble, you know. Um, Yeah, just wanted to serve the public, really, just like I was in the forces.
2: What made you go to a department store or a retail store?
1: Yeah, that wasn't my, my choice. That was my assignment that was assigned to me. Um, by the security company that I ended up joining. This security company was advertised as an elite security company that only wanted, like, ex-military personnel. So they tended to have contracts in area in areas that were high crime. So I had to pass an assessment <clears throat> um, uh, on the maps using martial arts and, and arrest and restraint techniques and um, luckily I, I passed and I was given my first assignment of a department store.
2: I was going to say, so I know kind of what it is in Canada or the US for what they're allowed to do. What kind of things are you allowed to do as security in a store like that? Like were, were you allowed yeah. to, uh, you know, uh, kind of tackle someone or kind of what what was your sort of
1: well, generally security, um, generally, secu- this, generally security in this country, um, <clears throat> you have to hold certain licenses to be able to um, arrest and detain. When I was assessed at the security headquarters, um, there was a police chief constable there who was assessing um, the uh, individual's uh, and the arrest and detaining techniques. Um, because I was ex military and because I'd, I'd uh, had many years' experience in martial arts, um, I was fortunate enough to be one of the three um, to uh, leave the gates with an assignment. So I was commissioned almost, commissioned by the police to arrest and detain. Hmm.
2: So, so now, <laughs> the story goes, um, I guess it was only like your third day or so that you yeah. were on work. And so now, what happened to you?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I got a call um, to uh, the cosmetic section, and I witnessed uh, a male. Um, I see one male, white male, um, six foot two. Uh, breaking into a cabinet with a screwdriver, trying to steal all the expensive aftershave and uh, perfume within there. Um, I called CCTV. And as I did, he gave up and left, um, made his way towards the town centre. <clears throat> I was trying to follow him, to get eyes on him, and the town was so busy... I couldn't see where he was, and then before I knew it, um, my radio was going crazy, with CCTV telling me to withdraw, get back, he's coming at you. I couldn't see him, and before before I knew it, um, he'd thrown me into the plate glass window of uh, a mobile phone shop, where he was repeatedly smashing my head against the, win- the window, and um, uh, giving me a verbal attack and a physical attack that mimicked being inside a cell, and to be honest, it it um, completely scared the life out of me. To be honest.
2: Well, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so now, now he was he was high on cocaine or something at the time, yeah. too, wasn't he? Crap. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yes. His eyes were massive. The pupils of his eyes were massive, like he'd been on heavy medication or or on uh, cocaine. And his strength was unbelievable for his size. Um, so, um, yeah, and the rage in his face was just awful, to be honest. So I had no doubt. And he, he was a known um, crack user as well.
2: So what ended up happening? Did you end up in the hospital with this one?
1: No, no, I didn't. um <clears throat> I ended up, uh, well, I was in shock, to be honest. <laughs> so I ended up just going into my office and um, refusing to press charges um, and refusing any medical care, saying I was okay, um, but in all seriousness, I was a wreck inside, um, and uh, yeah, that, that was the truth, yeah.
2: Was, it, was this something that you think was carried on from your time as a soldier?
1: What being you know, emotional?
2: The, yeah, the emotion and all that. Did it did it trigger something? Do you think?
1: I, that's interesting. That's an interesting thought. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I think it was. I, I'd become a, a a normal civilian. You know, I I wasn't in uniform, in army uniform. I wasn't being sent anywhere, um, like a war torn area um so i guess i really wasn't expecting my job role to involve being physically attacked in in broad daylight in in such a way and i think the shock of it all and not knowing what to do um i think that probably was the worst that yeah
2: mm. so so what ended up happening after that how were you and and it, how did it change the way you did your job
1: yeah, well, um, uh, I was a wreck. Um, I, 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 I got withdrawn. I was, um, frightened all the time. <clears throat> um, it, you know, uh, I, I was withdrawing away from people. I had become a victim basically. Right. <clears throat> um, and, uh, it was very difficult yeah very very difficult time.
2: It, but it says here now you've achieved over 400 arrests, but you had yeah. five assassination attempts. Uh, yes what, what who was who would be trying to kill you just bad people
1: at the start? Yeah. yeah yeah criminals that I was um, trying to detain um, or criminals that I had detained had gone to prison. And then come out with uh, like a vengeance against me. Yeah,
2: that's just that's just incredible. How how was this for you? Did you get more defensive and more withdrawn as time went on with these things happening, or?
1: <clears throat> well, what happened? What happened was, is that I was totally a victim for about four weeks, and then um, I ended up responding to an old lady that had been mugged and beaten and witnessing this and holding her in my arms and seeing what they'd done to her fired the soldier within me and that stirred an anger towards all of the um, criminals in the towns and cities (coughs) that would do these things on innocent people so um then the old me um, started coming back, the the uh, fighter from a young age, um, and I. That was when I swore my own personal war on a lot of them, basically. Um, so from that day, I hunted them down every opportunity I got, um, not thinking about myself whatsoever. Uh, all I wanted to do was. Um, have them arrested and catch them, um, and uh, I became pretty pretty damn good at it. Yeah,
2: mm. I'm just wondering. So it, it's almost like a Charles Bronson movie or something. Did you did you really want to hurt these people? Like were you were you that angry?
1: No, no, <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Um, within my booking and oh the 422 arrests. That I had, um, I only had one accusation of assault, and that was dropped. Um, so, out of all those arrests, I I would only use restraining techniques to to detain them, even if they were punching me like crazy. I would only put them in an arm lock and twist them and, and put them on the floor. Um, it was it was very important for me to stay on the right side of the law. Um, that was really important because otherwise, I wouldn't have been any different from them. So it was important to me to um, to do that. However, inside, inside, sometimes when I got hold of them, when when I knew what they'd done, it was it was challenging for me to um, you know not put. Unnecessary hurt on them when I was restraining them, um, but I did manage, managed to do that um, successfully.
2: Now i was just I'm just thinking about this. So yeah, that was quite a bit of um, strength on your side not to um, become violent to people like that, um, because some of these people tried to kill you. So this is not yeah yeah
1: yeah 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 know,
2: sure. This is not just someone picking up a, a pack of cards or something. This is no. uh, serious stuff. So how how did this affect your home life without... You know, Terrible. You, oh, I was yeah. going to say, without, you don't have to get too personal, I'm just thinking... No, like, no, how, it's
1: fine. It's how, fine.
2: So what <laughs> happened there? Like, did you kind of alienate yourself from your home yeah. as well?
1: Oh. Yeah, that's exactly what I did, yeah. I've become um, obsessed and um, uh, every, every ounce of my energy per day was always concentrating and thinking about um, these criminals and the person that had attacked me. So I'd be in the gym after work, I'd be running, you know, um, I withdrew from my wife and my children, which probably contributed to the marriage ending. Um, I was very much alone, I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone. I had no counselling. Uh, I didn't have any pepper spray or any cuffs or any batons. Mm. Um, the beatings that I got were, were 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 sickening, to be honest. In some of the arrests, because I wouldn't I wouldn't like punch them. You can't do that. You're, you're arresting them. You, you you've got to just. Um, Uh, restrain them and look after their well-being you know making sure their airways are clear not not endangering them ironically they're punching the hell out of you and headbutting you but you've got to look after their safety (laughs) which is a bit crazy but that's the side of good i'm afraid um and that's what i was trying to do but yeah, my personal life it, it it just went down the toilet completely, and my um, my emotions inside were um, depressed, um, um, saddening, um, uh, emotionally vulnerable. Um, my judgment was being tested. You know, it was very a very difficult time for me to be honest
2: mm did you find that um this sort of changed your let's say um let's say your general opinion of of people like did you did did this make you start looking for the bad in people um Do you know what I mean? Like when you start before, because it sounds like you were kind of surprised Like you go to work and you thought, well, you know, I'll be helping some ladies upstairs and with their bags and doors and stuff like that. And all of a sudden people are trying to kill you and you got all these arrests and all this violence is going on. But so did that affect your attitude toward people? Like were you on defense? Like you automatically thought, oh. You know, watch yeah, out for yeah. this one. Like, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if that sort of changes your outlook on, on yes. people.
1: It did. I mean, you know, if you're surrounded by people that are trying to hurt you all the time, you are going to be on the defensive. Um, and you are going to act like uh, overpower uh, overpoweringly, in a manner of speaking. For example, if I would go into my local pub and there'd be some local youths, that don't like the police and don't like security <clears throat> and would throw over evil looks at me you know mm. uh, I would bark at them you know uh, snap at them you know so I was kind of like always on the edge um, uh, of um, always worrying I was going to be attacked always trying to anticipate and read people so I guess yeah I mean there wasn't much um I didn't have much enjoyment in this period. It, 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 it was all quite dark and, and sinister, to be honest. Why, why do you think you
2: never left?
1: Well, I asked myself that quite a few times. And I think, you know, if you're an ex-soldier um, and you're in a role... Where other stores are screaming for your help because there's a criminal that is physically punching them or, or, or headbutting them. the floor, girls, headbutting girls to the floor, and they're screaming for someone to help, and I can be there in 20 seconds, I knew that, um, I, I, I knew that it was almost like I was the best person for the job, if hmm. you know what I mean, yeah. and I helped a lot of people, I saved a lot of people as well, yeah.
0: So it sounds like you, you went down pretty far, and ended up with some pretty severe PTSD according to what I'm reading about your book here
1: right and, um, and yeah well the the the, uh, the irony about the the book is there's almost like two storylines so the storyline of, of, of work and the storyline of my private life now i i'm a law abiding guy you know uh, I've I've helped police officers uh, detain people when they've been struggling. You know, I've got no criminal record. I've got no uh, cautions. You know, I've always tried to do the best to protect other people. Um, And my, my personal life, without me seeing it coming probably due to my wanting a better life and looking at another individual, looking up at another individual, um, almost, uh, like, really admiring this person um, and becoming friends with him. Um, I had no idea the train wreck that was heading towards me. Mm. Um, And... uh, going down that path eventually got me to the point where I was coming full circle where now I wasn't looking at these people that were doing these crimes with the same eyes I was looking at them thinking that they were someone's son or someone's daughter um and um, listening, in the end, listening to their stories, it, it um, changed the way that I looked upon them. Um, and it was only many years later that I decided to write the story because I wanted to take people on the journey with me so, so they could see what I saw Um, and show them the journey I went on, which often meant um, saying things about myself that I'm not proud of. But that was a dark path that showed me, um, like, some truths that are out there that we all often ignore or don't see.
0: It's funny how your darkest past can become your greatest asset in a way
1: mm. well I never saw it coming to be mm. honest b- because it, it's not a script it's something, it's something that happened so yeah I totally agree yeah
0: do you still find it uh, find it difficult in moments
1: <clears throat> um, now no not at all Not at all now. Uh, I found it difficult writing it. Hmm. Oh, God, that was so hard. It was so hard to write it. Sometimes I couldn't do it without crying all the time. Right. And then editing it, of course. (laughs) Becoming a writer was... was. uh, I just thought, you you know, you write a story and it's done, yeah? Job done. (laughs) But no, no, no. No, I had no idea, did I? Hmm. So, um you know that's like writing the story is like 10 percent, isn't it because you edit it about like 10 times and then you proofread it 20 times you know what i mean it's like and you're going you're reliving it and reliving it and going through it and i got to the point where i was just i can't wait till this is published so i don't have to read it anymore you know (laughs) just i did get that i did get to that point um Yeah, I wrote wrote it for Amos. If you read the story, I wrote it for him. And I wrote it for the other people that are trapped in in dark times. And um, and I also wrote it because I recognize life is about choices. And um, sometimes we may make the wrong choice and something might happen from it. Um but you can you can take um, like learning lessons from that that can give you wisdom to grow so that that was another reason I wanted to write the book.
2: How, how did you find a way out? How did you get yourself uh, through all
1: this? Uh, in the end, um, well, it would culminate on um detaining Amos an individual um who was very special to me I don't want to give away too much details about Amos but Mm -hmm. but he was very important and I think he changed the the path that my life was on and it was a very powerful moment um And a very upsetting moment. Every time I read the chapter, I'm I'm in tears. Every single time. And this has been like 19 years ago when this happened. So... Excuse me. So, um, yeah. I I feel it it was almost like I was touched. Like, almost like he was an angel. that, that, That reached inside my chest and... And, and grabbed hold of my spirit and he like had a had a trance on me through his eyes and I could feel all his pain. I could I could I I was sucked right into him and um there's other details that you, you read in the chapter about Amos that are very close and dear to me. And I believe very close and dear to the American public as well because I know how strongly the American public feel about individuals that serve them. Um, so it, I would I would put it down to Amos. After that meeting, I, it felt like I'd been touched by by God or by an angel or by something um, because my my whole, um mannerism changed almost like almost like i had been through a cleansing after meeting him and my actions proved that that could appear to be correct yeah mm.
2: so so how's life now how are things for you now
1: uh, okay so So I'm a single father now of a a seven-year-old mermaid and an eight-year-old Pokemon champion. Um, 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 My ex-partner got poorly and couldn't look after my children, so I had to step up and be a full-time dad. So I gave up my job as a head chef of a hotel, and now I do school runs and uh, clean the house, and do the bedding, and cook, and clean, and all that, lot. Um, and I write in between, um, so, yeah, that's my life now.
2: Sounds like things are kind of worked out, you're pretty happy.
1: Yes, I am, I'm, I'm very much so, I've got some, I've got some dear friends that are always on the phone with me, and they support me, and and um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I'm in a very good place now, thank you. So what do you hope people get out
2: of the book? I mean, obviously when you wrote the book, you were, you were speaking to other people in the same place, and uh, you had that um, darkness yourself that you were working out by writing the book. Yeah. Um, but so is, this, is, is there a meaning behind this for other people?
1: There, there is. There is a, there is a meaning. Um, you know, I, I, I was a law-abiding guy. You know, I was just every, everyday Joe, you know. I wasn't anyone special, no different from anyone else. I was just a guy trying to do his job. But in my teenage years, you know, I, I suffered a lot of violence from children in the, the streets and, and at school. And I went through a horrible time there. And I'd walked away from that darkness uh, and that anger. And I'd matured and I'd grown. But, you know, when you're faced with um, horror, uh, you know, being attacked, um, I, I wrote in my book that I felt like he was a Rottweiler and I was a bunny rabbit. And he was just shaking me in his teeth that's how I felt that's how I felt but and then the the soldier within me woke up not from that but from seeing um, injury towards innocent other people it seemed that that I didn't kind of care too much about myself but I cared about everyone else Um, I was in service of others and when i saw others being attacked then that made me angry so then i went on the path of revenge which is never good <laughs> and it will never it will never come out in a happy ending going down the route of revenge so that's one one thing i want people to know is that that is it's not don't do don't do what i did you know that's not a good thing um but of course so i t- i turned into a rottweiler uh, and ended up uh, inadvertently in my social life um walking a similar path to what they were walking not stealing but uh, then again not not being a good citizen and that that that, that that's something i'm deep I, i'm deeply regretful of um but I guess the book shows that even good people can can go wrong uh, or, or make a wrong choice or a poor choice um, or maybe for the right reasons, but inevitably or he thinks there are the right reasons or she. Um, but but also a lot of the a lot of the public, look at these individuals and um, maybe if they're homeless or maybe if they're using drugs under a bridge, you know, look at them with disgust and everything, you know. Mm. I, think, I think more, uh, and I was hoping that this book, they would come with me um, and they would look at them in this certain way and then I was kind of hoping at the end, they might be looking at them with different eyes. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it was.
0: Yeah, society tends to dehumanize people in those situations.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like the truths are okay as long as it's a truth they they like or want to hear. Mm. But sometimes there's truths in dark places and sometimes it takes people good people to stand up and say I've been in that dark place uh, to show them a certain story that perhaps they will open their ears to.
2: Mm. So uh, how do people get a hold of you? Do you have, uh, what kind of a page do you have for people to contact you?
1: Um, I have my author's page on on Facebook um, Malcolm Campbell author um, they can Google me, put Malcolm Campbell author into Google and my, my, my book co Sign Charlie Ryan and my, my um, face, uh, my photo will come up on there and that will take them to a link where they can contact me as well.
2: Okay. We'll have that up on our site too. So anybody Thanks. listening can just go one click and get your book or find you yeah, on Facebook and stuff. You. So, so you're still writing. That's great. So you plan on doing more books.
1: Yeah, well, I, in my life, I, I've, I've done many things. I think I'm always going to be a writer um, about, um, like, memoir, and things that I've done or, or witnessed or achieved, I think. So I, I was a chef of French cuisine um, for many years, and um, I won several medals um, in doing that. So I thought about... Um, writing a cookery book for people that would like to become a chef and go into the industry um, my last um, hotel was a, a four-star fine dining um, and home cooked food that was a nice place um, so uh, I've got potentially a book on cooking to come um, there's already other areas as well that I have I've um experienced um and uh, there are other topics that i'm i'm considering i'd like to write about things i'm passionate about um because i think that will hold my drive to uh complete the book
2: <laughs> right
1: to be honest you yeah.
2: know no it's it's true
1: it's true yeah and,
2: and and then other people um relate to it they can feel your passion they they get that yeah so yeah that's a good thing everything yeah. going good with the covid and all that over in the in the uk and stuff or
1: well it has been but unfortunately the northeast of england has just gone into lockdown again um with uh, something like two or three million people being locked down, oh. um, which is very sad news to hear. So things are still uh, very precarious. Um, uh, we have to wear masks if we're going into any shops mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know keep our distance when we're collecting children from the school, um, strict hygiene. You know, so it's still very much um, uh, a serious state, really. I just try to make life at home as easy uh, for for myself and my children as I can, you know, buying gym equipment to keep fit and, and uh, giving the kids tabs and switches and everything that stops them from fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, everything, everything's good, uh, uh, I'd like to see the time when we're not concerned about COVID, but it doesn't seem like it's coming just yet.
2: No, probably a little while still, but, you know, um, but it could be worse, right? Yes, of course. So, well, Malcolm, it's been very interesting, you sound like a great person and uh, love the book. Um, so our our guest has been Malcolm Campbell and we've talked about his true crime memoir the call sign Charlie one I only wanted to live in peace
1: now it's my war Um, thank you for taking the time to talk to us it's been an absolute pleasure thank you to the both of you thank you very much
0: great stuff Malcolm thank you so much
1: thank you to find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back.
0: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts,